I'd like to welcome you to the ministry of McCormick's Creek Church. We certainly hope that you will enjoy this selection. Uh, my brother was supposed to be here this morning, and uh, he calls me and uh, half asleep, Brother Davis, and uh, nothing like being instant in season and out of season. And I know this is my job, still mentally, uh, at times when you're not mentally and physically prepared, it's a little bit difficult. And he's stuck in Kentucky. And uh, I don't know if you know anything about Kentucky. But when you're stuck in Kentucky, anybody ever see The Wizard of Oz? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah, he couldn't get across the bridge because they shut the bridge down. And uh, he has my oldest son with him. Micah was supposed to preach this morning and also preach tonight. So he's going to be preaching tonight. But it seems as though that his big brother always has to bail him out. So when he comes here tonight, I want you to make a point to let him know that I've spent most of my life fighting his battles, digging him out of ruts and paying his bills. No, I'm just kidding, brother. But you're stuck with me this morning. I so simply apologize. I know we had the kids come in from the teen class. Please forgive me. I'll make it up to you. Okay? I'll only preach for an hour and a half this morning instead of the three hours I planned to preach. Okay? But anyhow, uh, this morning I, I, I do apologize and he will, he will certainly be here tonight. Now, I, I know that the weather says we're going to have ice and rain. That's not going to happen. We're just afraid that that's going to, that's going to decease the weather channel. They're Somebody say liars. Yeah. But I don't know if they, if they mean to lie, but often they, it is. It's not the truth. Uh, it's, it's, it is what it is. So you're stuck with me this morning. And if you open your Bibles, very, very popular uh, passage in Scripture. One of the most powerful passages in Scripture, Second Chronicles 7 and 14. One of the most quoted, quoted passages of Scripture, but it is a Scripture that it's a prophecy that the healing of our lands and the success of our churches, success of America, uh, is predicated on this one Scripture in all the Bible. There's many, so many Scriptures in the Bible that that are applicable to us. This one Scripture... The success of our churches is is predicated on this one passage of Scripture. And many times it is one of the most ignored passages of Scripture, unfortunately. If my people, that is a very, very important part of the Scripture. If my people, now, I've said it before and I'll say it again. He said, my people. He was not talking about the United States of America. I know you very patriotic people that love this nation. I'm one of them. and love the flag and stand for the flag and put my hand on on my heart. 
sing, love the national anthem. I love everything about our uh, about what we stand for and freedom in this country. But just because you're American doesn't mean you're a Christian. And when he says my if my people, he wasn't talking about the United States. <sighs> Sorry. I know that makes upset some of y'all. But I know a lot of people that's in the United States that's not considered to be the people of God. But what, what he, does, can anybody tell me what he meant by my people? Somebody who are called by not, if my, if my people who are called by my name. Who is that? The ones that are baptized in Jesus' name filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, I'm not trying to be narrow-minded but that's, that's the people that, that have only been baptized in Jesus' name. Right? It's either right or it's not. And I'm not trying to be... Uh, uh, I'm not full of ourselves. I don't think that we're right just because, we're, because we think we're right. But he said, if my people which are called by my name, not people that's been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. It's quiet in here. But the people that are called by His name, He said, He went on to say, shall humble themselves and pray and seek My face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. I just want to talk to you just for a while. Time to pray. It's time to pray. If you have your Bibles, just lay them down in your pew. And I, I want to just, before I just want the Lord to talk to our hearts this morning before I pray, before I begin to speak. I want you to just close your eyes and I want you to raise your hands and I want you to point your face to heaven. And I want you to ask the Lord to seek, to, to, to begin to reveal things in our heart that's not right. Help us to be right, Lord. Help us to be revealed in our spirit, the things that we need to change in our hearts and our spirit. Forgive us for anything that we're, we, we, we don't, that we have in our heart that shouldn't be there. I pray that you would touch our hearts and our minds. Lord, I pray that you would help us to seek your face. Help us to be humble and pray. Help us to seek your help and help us to be humble so we can have a visitation by you in Jesus' name. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. In Jesus' name. You may be seated. I kind of like this. This uh, when I'm not really prepared, I can't blame it on anything else. This morning, I'm just going to try to be led by the Holy Ghost. This morning, is that all right? I don't mean to be keep beating a dead horse, but when you're in the middle of pain, when you're in the middle of trials, you, uh, at times you get consumed by it. Here lately, been consumed by sickness of my mother the sickness of ALS is is something that you you do not have a good day and a bad day if you do any study in a, about the ALS disease you'll realize that once the nerves begin to die in your body it's not like arthritis where one day you're, you're not as in as much pain as the day before and you may have a good day one day you may have a bad day and 
It's, it's not like a roller coaster. It's not like one day it, it's good, and the next day it's bad. But you realize that once a, a person that has ALS, is, their limbs, the nerves in their body dies. That's it. There's no coming back from it. The doctors will tell you that there's no healing. best thing that they can do with Harvard, Princeton, and Stanford, and all the universities that's tried to study about the, the, the sickness of ALS, that once those nerves die, there is no coming back. The only thing that they can do is, is and it is exactly, Brother Krauss, what they say it is, it's literally a practice, and they practice. The best thing right now that they can give, it's not even a promise. I don't even know what the, the odds are to even slow it down, but the only thing that they can uh, do is possibly help the disease from progressing as fast, or they try to slow it down. In other words, instead of dying in three years, they'll possibly extend your life maybe to four years. And that's the prognosis that my mother had. And I, 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 but, and I didn't come this morning to paint a, a gloom and doom picture, but I do want to say that three nights ago, my mother, she was laying in, uh, in her on the couch, I think she said. She was on in the couch, and she was praying. She was in a tremendous a lot of pain, and she was crying out to God. She began to travail before the Lord, and she began to weep. She began to speak in tongues, and she said, God, you're going to have to help me. The pain was intense, and she hadn't slept for two or three days up to that point. She was weary. She was tired. And she be, but she began to pray. And one thing I love about my mother is the tenacity and her will to get better. And what she speaks, and she, you never hear her say she's going to die. She doesn't say that uh, she's having a bad day. She continually speaks positive. But a couple nights ago, she began to cry out to God in prayer. She was very upfront with God. She began to command the disease to cease. She began to rebuke the sickness. And in prayer, she got a hold of the throne room of God. And Brother Snellenberger, she fell asleep. And it was an odd thing because my mom, she's like, I'm like her. I'm high strung. I just don't fall asleep. I take Zequel or something to fall asleep. But she fell asleep immediately. And the pain left. And at 4 o'clock in the morning, she woke up and the presence of God came into her living room. And as sure as I'm standing here talking to you, her legs began to come alive. And she began to move her legs back and forth at will. You say, well, that's not... That big of deal. Eight months ago, five, six months ago, she was walking eight and ten miles. And just three or four weeks ago, she was able to walk in a walker. And it seemed, and it was literally overnight, she went from being able to stand and walk on a walker till the next day, not in, not even being able to help anybody help her stand or anything. No, uh, no strength at all. But at four o'clock in the morning, 
She began to move her legs. She was so excited about it. She wakes my father up, and her father came in there, and Nell, her parish, which is my godparent, you'll soon meet her. She, they woke her up and began to show her and rejoice in the Holy Ghost. And she went right back to sleep, Brother Jonathan, went to sleep till 9.30 in the morning and got up. And since that time, she's been able to move her legs. That may excite some of you, and some of you are, may not be impressed. But I want you to know something. And I'm not, again, I'm not, I'd never knock the medical field if I get sick or whatever. I'm coming to see y'all. If faith without works is dead, and I, I'm glad for you. And I'm, Sister Davis, I'm glad for you going to nursing school. The Van Deventers are brilliant, bright people, and they're great. They're awesome. And what they do is amazing. And I, 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 I give them uh, honor for what they know. But I'm going to tell you something. Where the doctors can't do something, they, they, they are lost. They are in, 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 as far as the knowledge, they're, they're stumped. They don't understand. They can't, they, most of the time, this is what one of the doctors said, that, that he's a holistic doctor, says this, that 20% of people with ALS go back and they say a lot of times they say they're misdiagnosed. They, they, they say, well, we miss, accidentally misdiagnosed us. Uh, misdiagnosed it, he said, which most of the time is impossible. He said, the blood doesn't lie. And this doctor told me, he said, what happens a lot of times is that the doctors don't want to admit that God healed them. That's what he told us. And he said, so they just say, we misdiagnosed you. And I believe what's happened is my mother wasn't misdiagnosed. I believe what God has shown people and is going to continue to show people is that the doctors did not help mom. The only thing that helped mom was a praying church and a healing God. A praying church and a healing Jesus. There's no other answer. That nobody else can get credit. And I believe that that's what God is going to do in our midst. I believe that, uh, that doctors, uh, doctors will take their hands off and say, I can't do anything else. But just like when Mary and Martha threw their hands up and said, I, I don't know what else to do. Our brother Lazarus is dying. And when he died, the only answer to their dilemma is when Jesus showed up and walked up to the tomb and said, roll the stone away and called Lazarus' name. And Lazarus came walking out of there. There was nobody else that could possibly get the credit except for Jesus Christ. Sometimes he allows things in our life, and I'm, t I'm supposed to be talking about healing, but I'm going to get back to it. Sometimes he allows, or, or prayer, sometimes he allows things to get so bad in our life, and sometimes it just falls apart and disintegrates, and there's no, nobody else can help you, nobody else can, uh, has the answer to your problem or dilemma or your sickness, and the doctors take their hands and say, I don't, or they just throw their hands up and say, I don't have the answer. And what Jesus does is says, you know what? I'm going to let everything fall apart in your life, and the only way that you're going to get any help is if I intervene. And that's what's happening. Sister Kim, I feel in the Holy Ghost that God has allowed some things to fall apart in your life. And if anything's done in your life, it's only going to be hit because of Him. And Jesus is going to get the credit. That's all there is to it. 
And, but we have got to understand that there is power in prayer. And it's sad a lot of times prayer is our last resort. It's a last resort. We, 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 that's what we go to. We, and, and, and it, it's a sad time that, that we think that uh, the only thing that we can do uh, in, in the last is, uh, well, we, we can just call in the name of the Lord. Why don't we do that in the beginning? Prayer. It's like the, the, the thought, and I was thinking about this uh, yesterday in our school system. They take prayer out of schools, take the Bible out of the schools, because we don't want to make anybody upset. We, we don't want to stomp uh, or step on anybody else's beliefs and anybody else's religion. When our country all it, it was simply built on Jesus principles and prayer principles, and in God we trust. It's written on our money. It's, it's all over. the. In, in God we trust, and we talk about Him and sing about Him, and then we want to take Him take him out of school, take prayer out of schools. And then when they go to prison because they don't have God, the first thing that they want to do is have Bibles passed out or put it off on the church and say, Church, come in and help us. we got too many people on drugs. we got too many people that's it's addicted. We'll just push them off on the church. I wonder what would have happened if they would have let the church handle things in the beginning. And let us have prayer back in the schools in the beginning instead of taking it out and then waiting 20 years when the kids' lives fall apart and they're addicted to drugs and then put prayer on them. Prayer is not the last, shouldn't be the last resort. It should be our first resort. Scripture said it, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Well, we got a problem in America. I tell you what we, a, lot, a lot of people do, and it's in the church. we got a lot of people that's willing to pray, but they're not willing to change their lifestyle. We'll go past that because people don't want to hear that. Because uh, prayer is, is, is not just talking to God. It, it has a lot to do with repentance and turning from our wicked ways. And that's, what, that's how God will heal our land. Not just simply talking. To, by the way, I say, want to say good to see Brother Rick Water here this morning. Bless you for being here. Sorry you had to come this morning. Probably is expecting Micah Hill, but you had to hear his brother. But prayer, simply, simply, it was just such a powerful tool. As growing up, and I'm going to get to, I'm going to, get to that, but I've seen so many things happen because of prayer. I've seen my grandfather, seen my grandfather walk in the miraculous. He had a third grade education. He wasn't the smartest guy. He said more words wrong. If he would have posted on Facebook, he'd had those people on, the, you know how they do the Facebook people that, that what do they call them, uh, uh, Grammar Nazis, is that what they're called? You're, you, you are, and all that, and they're always correcting. I have people correcting me all the time. Grandpa, My grandpa, he would have failed at that. He couldn't write very well. He couldn't read the best. But that man walked with God. I, I have seen many times, many miracles happen uh, at, at, at his hand because of Jesus. But simply he had, had enough power and enough authority, uh, even though he wasn't the smartest guy uh, usually in the room. He had a lot of common sense, but bib, uh, 
book, book smart, he didn't have it. He, he wasn't the best mathematician. He couldn't spell very well, but my God, he walked with Jesus. And if somebody was in the room sick, he, he, he found them. And when they would, when, by the time they walked out of the room, they weren't sick anymore. There was a one, one case, uh, uh, we talk about it all the time uh, in our family when we, when we want to build somebody's faith up. And I probably have told it here right down the road where my grandfather lived. He would always point the house. Son, that's the house where that young boy lived. He is a police officer now. Uh, or or he, 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 how did he say it? He said he's nearly retirement. He was a police officer. He said, I remember when he was two years old, he said he stood up in his high chair and they had concrete floors and he flipped out of his high chair and bounced his head off of off of the floor. He said over at Barnes Hospital, he said, that's where I was the security guard right before I became the police officer. He said he went into convulsions. He said, I saw them bring them in. I recognized the family because they lived in the same neighborhood that I lived in. He said, I saw them rush them back and the kid was just convul- having convulsions and, and shaking. By the time the doctors got in there, the, the little boy simply died. He quit moving. He quit breathing. His pulse was gone. This was back uh, in the 50s. He said, I remember, he said, the doctors went in there and they, they put the paddles on him and he was, he was dead. They stuck pins and needles in his feet, tried to uh, uh, wake him up somehow with the nerves. And they did all they could, CPR and all this stuff on this kid. He said, I remember seeing through the crack of that door. He said, because I was security guard. He said, I had access to certain parts. He said, I was interested. If that boy was going to live, and he said, I saw the doctor shake his head, put his head down. He conversed with the other doctors and nurses, put that sheet over that little boy's head. And he said, I walked, he said, I walked and saw that doctor tell that mama. Imagine the doctor coming in and telling you that your little boy, your little girl was dead. And he said that woman fell apart and began to weep. He said that doctor, they had to physically hold that woman down because she got violent with, and she was weeping and crying and screaming. He said, I just simply, now could you imagine the kind of faith that it would take? I, I don't know what I would do, but he, Grandpa, Grandpa Hill, he just simply had enough faith that uh, that he w- walked into that hospital room. And he said, I'll never forget. He said, I jerked that sheet off of that kid's face. He said, it was completely white. He said, I laid my hands on his head. And he said, I began to pray a prayer of faith. Now, that's faith. That's faith. That, that, that blows my mind. He said, I began to pray. And he said, I rebuked death. And he said, I began to command the life back into that little baby's a life and in his lungs. And he said, I just simply commanded it to happen and begin to pray. And he said, I rebuked death. He said, and before long, that kid's eyes came open. And he said, he began to cry. And he said, he, the first thing that he wanted, imagine a kid, he wanted something to eat. That's his first thing the kid said. I want to eat. I want to eat. I want to eat. A two-year-old kid. He said, I walked out of there and the doctor pointed at my face. He said, why are you in there? You're not allowed in there. He said, you got a live patient doctor. And the doctor said, you better get out of here. He said, I'm telling you, that kid is alive. The doctor went in there. He said, that, that man is a police officer getting ready to retire now. He said, God raised him from the dead. I tell you that to tell you this, that that, that didn't just happen. 
That didn't just happen at the hand of my grandfather, but it happened because he had a prayer life prior to that event. He was used to hearing the voice of God. He was used to having communion with God. I'll tell you why some of us probably wouldn't have done something like that. You ready? I'm getting ready. This this is very, very blunt. A lot of us probably wouldn't have done that because we would have been unsure if God could do it. And the reason is, is because we don't spend enough time with God to even know His will. And then here's the next question I want to say. I, want to, I would like to ask the question, how many miracles does, did possibly in the past did God want to do, but He couldn't do because we couldn't hear His voice? Say, well, it, it doesn't work that way. Yes, it does work that way. Jesus went to Nazareth and had many sick folks that was there. Jesus himself preached this powerful word, the God of this world, the God-man, Jesus, the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega, preaches in, in uh, uh, Nazareth. And the, only, the best thing that he got, the Bible says, was he healed a few, just a few sick folks. Then he walks five miles down the road. I think it was to Capernaum. Walks five miles down the road to Capernaum. The next chapter, Brother Davis, he preaches the same message. It's the same Jesus, same power, same authority, same anointing. Everything was the same. And, the, and you read that very next verse after, right after he preaches, and it says, all matter of sickness and disease was healed. Nobody walked out untouched. Same Jesus, same God, same message, two different days, two different occasions, and one occasion hardly anybody got healed. The next uh, day, everybody got healed. What was the difference? I'll tell you the difference was, was the perception of the ones hearing the message. Say, what's that got to do with prayer? It has everything to do with prayer and, and the lack of anticipation of the ones hearing the message. It's not God's fault that things, the miracle signs and wonders aren't done in certain churches. It's not God's fault. He, he's not less powerful. He does, and it's not that He likes some people more than others. The fact is, well, the difference was, was one crowd wasn't ready to, re, uh, to be receptive to the message, and the other crowd was. And that's the way it is, the difference between a church that prays and a church that doesn't pray. A church that doesn't pray are carnally minded. They think carnal. All they think about is, uh, what can I get? What can I, what can I get out of this situation? But a church that prays, first of all, is a church that's, that's got humility. I need to get, hold on. I, get to where I'm, I'm, I'm going. I, I need to look at my... Just, just give me one prayer. One second. A church that, that prays, what they do is they display... They display a mentality of humility. A person that doesn't pray, 
the first, the first, their first problem, a person, let me say it, a person that does not pray. First question you need to, to, to ask yourself if you don't pray is whether you're humble or not. Because that's what prayer is all about. person that, that prays shows Jesus that he can't make it by himself. A person that doesn't pray is basically telling God, I don't need your help. I heard, I heard uh, one of the best... Ex, uh, ex, this is what happens when you don't eat breakfast and you've got, got sugar problems. Somebody, Jacob, go to my office and get my juice, the juice that I have in my office. I, have, I opened a can of juice. Tyler, go. Opened a can of juice while ago. That's why I left, because my sugar was drop, dropping. And I, my, I feel like the room's closing in on me here. What was I saying? Help me. Oh, I heard Brother... Brother Stone King say this. Somebody asked him, said, why doesn't, why does so many bad things happen if Jesus is so great? And why, why does so many bad things happen to, in this world? He had the best ex, ex, say that word for me. Explain, I can't. Help me, Jesus. He explained it. Go. I'm not nervous at all. I, I could stand nervous at all. Professional. Living. I just can't. My, my, having a little issue right now. But he said. He said, God, being a gentleman, does not get involved in the affairs of men. Unless he's asked. He said, God leased this world out to man, gave them dominion. Please, don't be shy. You're not normally shy. I don't know why you're acting shy now. I thought he was going to throw it at me. Don't throw it at me. Thank you, buddy. Open this for me. And he said, can't open it. Can somebody go get him a juice? God leased this world out to man. He gave them dominion, complete dominion. Gave him authority. Matter of fact, he named the gar- He named all the animals in the garden. He had all this authority. He spoke into the chaos. He put everything into order. And he said, man turned right around, leased it out to Satan. So God gave dominion to man. Man turned around and gave the dominion, passed it off to, to, the, to Satan. Now Satan has this authority. And he said, God doesn't get involved in the affairs of man unless he's invited. In other, word, in other words, God doesn't override the will of men. If he tried, if he did, if he overrode the will of man, it'd mean that we were robots. And that's a whole different other message we could talk about. What good is love if you're forced to love God and 
and so we have a will. We have a we we have our own will to love or not love or to serve or not serve God. So He puts that in our hands, which is a very very great gift. And so that is why it is so vital to pray, because God doesn't get involved in your issues unless you are invited, unless. You ask Him. And that's why in the Scripture He said, hey, you want healing? He said, you've got to humble yourself. You've got to pray. If you want Me to answer, you've got to ask Me. Because I won't override your will. And it is such a tragedy that the greatest power that is on earth is so overlooked. So overlooked. And that is the act of prayer. We suffer so much at the hand of the enemy that we could, it could be so easily avoided if we just took the time to pray. It is not that the enemy is so strong that many of God's people are discouraged and defeated, but because we so often fail to use the greatest weapon, we, we get in trouble and we get, in, we, we get down and we get depressed. And prayer should be the first thing that we do. And it's, it's a sad thing. United States, what's the first thing, what's the first thing that the United States, the people, the people of the United States do when they get in trouble? What's the first thing they do? First thing they did on 9-11. We had agnostics, libertarians, don't force your religion on me, Brother Davis. We talk about that a lot. People that that are, are that that believe in liberty and they they want free from everything. The problem with libertarians and people that are liberal is that they don't they don't want to accept the fact that there is law or rule. They want freedoms, but they don't want they don't want to be uh, they don't want the law in their life. That, isn't that true in the, in, the, in 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 the church? A lot of Charismatics, they they want liberty in the Holy Ghost, but they don't want to. They don't want anybody tell them how to live. But prayer, prayer is an act of submission and an act an act of humility. And he, uh, that's what America. The problem with America is that the only time that they want God to intervene is when there is a need or when they're in trouble. You see, it, uh, it is, when they say, let's take a moment of silence, it makes me want to gag. Well, look at them. We brag on them. Look how they're praying. They're taking a moment of silence. What they're doing is they don't want to admit they're praying, but when they say, let's take a moment of silence, it's their way of saying, let's pray without saying we're going to pray. I, I just want to gag every time I hear that. Let's take a moment of silence. You see agnostics and, and, and atheists saying, let's just take a moment and have silence. Why don't we just say, let's pray and get a hold of God? Let's swallow our pride and just say, you know what, we need God's help. But they don't. Until they need Him. And they, God has... He, he just become a spare tire to some people. And so, we'll put him on when we have a flat. 
But when we don't need him, we'll take him off. We'll put him, throw him in the trunk, and we hopefully won't need him until next year. We just throw him off, throw him to the side. Imagine, imagine your kids doing that to you. Some of you probably have had your kids. The only time they want you in their life is when they want your inherit their inheritance. We knew we saw what happened to the the young man that wanted his inheritance early. He, he only he wanted to commune with his father. He wanted he wanted his father to give him what he wanted. And the fact was, when he left, he ran out of it. But what happened when he ran out of what he spent? He came back to the father. And we're glad he comes back. We're glad. But the fact was, the only reason he came back is because he found himself eating with the pigs. He realized that home wasn't too bad and dad wasn't too bad of a guy. But that's what brought him back. He needed something from God. And that's a sad reality. A lot of people use God like that. And that's the only time that they ever pray and have communication with God is when they're in trouble. And we'll go to prayer meeting when we desperately need them. And I, I feel this in the Holy Ghost right now, that there are people in here that you don't want anything to do with God, you don't want, it, you don't want to worship God or whatever. But at one second, one, the, the next sec, second, when your kids are sick and they're in the hospital and they're in desperate need, and all, unfortunately, and I hope to God that this doesn't happen, your kids get a bad report from the doctor. The doctor says your son's sick or your daughter's too sick. All of a sudden, you want the church in your life. I feel this right now strongly in the Holy Ghost. Right now, I know I'm talking to one specific individual. You had... That you're getting ready to need God. You're getting ready to need God. I can't, I can't, I can't stop until I get this out. You're getting ready to need God really strongly. This is what God's saying. I, I feel this in the Holy Ghost. You better cry out to Him now. Here's what I, here's what I truly believe. I, I truly believe this, and I, I'm having such such trouble saying this right now. It's not the sugar problem. I'm having trouble saying it because this is a strong word from God right now. You're getting ready to need God, but if you bow your knee right now, you can get around this situation. It doesn't even have to happen. I've never felt this. So passionate and so strong about what I'm saying right now. See, this is why my brother didn't get to come this morning. You're getting ready to need God in a mighty way. You're going to want the church to come and pray. I don't know what it is. I, I have no idea. 
God has brought me here today that if you humble yourselves this today, 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 you can divert the situation. You can go around the situation. It doesn't even have to happen. But I, I, I truly believe that God was going to allow something in your life to put you on your knees to let you know how much you need God. I feel like I can't go any further right now. I feel, I feel like it's in order if we just begin to cry out to God right now. All over this place, I'm asking you to cry out to God. I know that the person, I know the person knows who I'm talking to right now. The conviction that you feel, it's overwhelming right now to you. I'm not trying to embarrass you right now. I'm just trying to show you that the Lord wants to, to speak to you. He wants to help you right now. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Tell you what I'm going to do. I'm just going to I'm, I'm just going to go forward here in a, here in a few moments, Sister Krause. I'll have you come up. We'll have we'll have an altar call. I, I got, I'll get a few things out. I, I feel this very strongly. I just need you to hear me. There should never be a time where where we stop seeking God's face. A lot of times people will stop seeking God's face a lot of times because things are right in their lives at that point in their life. They, they stop seeking God. They stop chasing after the will of God. First Chronicles 16 and 11 says, Seek the Lord in His strength. You're going to continually need it. Then he went on to say, Seek His face continually. Just because you don't feel like you need Him doesn't mean you stop seeking and stop searching. You'll never arrive to a place in your life where you don't need Him. He's the carrot on the stick. He's what drives us. The Bible says that he that endureth to the end the same shall be saved. Paul said that. He, he understood that there had to be a continuation of seeking the face of God. You're not just saved, repent, baptize in Jesus' name, and fill with the Holy Ghost, and then you stop. You just let, it just, you just stop working. You just stop seeking. Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His face continually. In 1 Samuel 12 and 23 says, Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. But I will teach you the good and the right way. What he was saying, Samuel the prophets was saying that when you stop praying, it is a sin. It is just as much a sin if you stop praying 
as it is if you go out and live for the devil and start do whatever you want to do. Prayer. Prayerless is sin is a sin unto God. Psalms 10 and 4 said, The wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. And a lot of people, and I, and I understand I've been here before where you stop praying because you don't feel worthy to pray. Here's, here's where I feel another, another urgency to tell you this. That you can't think that way. You can't stop praying because you feel like you let God down. A lot of people will stop praying. They stop praying, they stop praising, and they stop worshiping God simply because they don't feel worthy to pray or worthy to praise or worthy to worship. Guess what? Nobody in this place is worthy enough to worship God or to be in His presence. We're all in the same boat. We've all failed. We've all come short of the glory of God. But that does not, that should not keep us from continually to pray and praising and worshiping God. To not pray is blatantly a declaration of our independence from God. To declare ourselves secure on our own to live our life how we think we should live it. When we stop praying, we tell God, I don't need you. That's what no prayer is saying to God. There was no deliverer from Egypt's bondage without prayer. No Samuel the prophet without prayer. There was no fire from heaven without prayer. There was no manna that fell out of heaven without prayer. And there is absolutely no revival in our lives without prayer. God has so ordained it that everything He does in earth must be carried in spiritual womb of His children, birthed in the spirit of prayer. And along with prayer, hear me, and this, is, this may be another Bible study for another day. You've heard the Scripture and read the Scripture, faith without works is dead. Right? Prayer without works is also dead. Sometimes I, I, I have these thoughts in my head that I probably shouldn't say because I don't want to offend anybody or hurt anybody's feelings. But I'm going to say them anyway. I used to have, I, long time ago, long time ago, I'm not trying to be funny. I'm not trying to be sarcastic. I'm not trying to be mean or crude to anybody. Just hear me out. I used to have this person come up to me and say, pray for my wife. Pray for my wife. Her knees are bad. And this man's wife, she had no... She always indulged in whatever she wanted to eat. And whatever she wanted to eat. And she she never exercised. She never she never lost any weight. But her he continued, and he was mad at God because God didn't heal her knees. And me as a, a minister, I wasn't a pastor or anything, but I wanted to say, well, faith without works is dead. You got to help God out. It's kind of like the person that has 
cancer in their lungs and cancer all through their body and continually says, I need the church to pray. I need the church to fast. I need the church to pray for me. But they, they'll go outside and light up another cigarette and they continue to smoke. And they want the church to pray, pray and fast for them. Do you understand what I'm saying? And a lot of times we pray God to God, God, uh, uh, I, I, I need your help. And sometimes God says, well, what are you doing on your end to help yourself? I know that's not a very popular message that people want to hear. It's kind of like the old story, and I don't even think it's true. I think some, some elder made it up to prove a point. But my dad used to tell it. It's like the guy that was standing there, and there was, he was in the valley, and there was going to be a flood. They kept predicting, it's going to rain so hard, it's going to flood. He stood out there, and he prayed to God, and God said, I promise you, I'll send you help. And he's standing out there, and the boat comes around, and says, the guy says, get in. I, 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 you're, going to, you're going to get stuck in the flood. Get in. He's like, nope. I believe I'm, I'm 100%. God's going to help me. And then the guy leaves said, well, that's your business. He leaves, and God sends another boat. Says, get in the, get in the boat. You're gonna, you're gonna drown. Nope. I believe God's gonna heal me or uh, save me. Three or four different boats came around. Finally, the guy drowned. When he got to heaven, the guy said, God, I thought you were gonna save me. And then God gives him the obvious. I sent four or five boats to you, knucklehead. We can pray all we want to for things. But if we don't help ourselves, it's like my mom, when she found out she was sick, they got on the Internet and they started looking. What foods, what foods make you sick? What foods do I need to stop eating? And my mom's in tears. She sat in her recliner and she sat there and she said, I'll, son, I'll eat grass. I'll eat grass. I'll eat lettuce for the rest of my life because I want to live. And I realized, I said, my God, that's the kind of people that God will answer their prayers. Faith without works is dead. If you want prayers answered, you've got to do something about it. In other words, if you want, to, if you want out of your depression, silence the negative voices in your life and get rid of them. I see people all the time. I prayed. I prayed and God's not answering. I prayed for this and God isn't doing this. I prayed for healing. But they, people continue to do exactly what they're not supposed to do. So, God is asking us to meet Him halfway. There is a divine position of prayer. It's not whether you're standing or sitting or laying out in the floor that's important. But the position of prayer that determines whether or not God answers us is the position. And there's only one position of prayer. And that's the position of humility. The position of the heart. Humility. Submission. Meekness. Yielded to God. Obedience. Lowliness. Tenderness. It speaks of dependence on Him. It means to place myself under another or to esteem myself of lesser importance. And that is the position of God. In other words, when we go to God, we don't come to Him and say, you know what, God, I'm so important. This is what you're going to do and command God to do stuff. But when we come to Him, that doesn't mean we come to God feeling so insecure that we don't think God's going to answer. But we've got to have the position of humility, which is, God, I know I'm nothing in you, uh, without you, but with you I can do all things. And this is what I need. And when we boldly 
but humbly come to the throne of Jesus, then he can answer. But there is an attitude that we must bring to, the, to Jesus before he can, we can get an answer. And it makes a difference of intention. It's just like the woman with the issue of blood that was walking through the crowd of Jesus. There was hundreds, if not thousands of people touching Jesus, knocking him all over the place. And finally, there was a woman. She had barely enough strength to be crawling through the crowd that touched. She even said it in herself, if I can just touch the hem of his garment. And she touches Jesus' garment and he stops and asks the absurd question, who touched me? And everybody around him is like, what do you mean who touched you? you got hundreds of people around you who touched me. And what Jesus was saying was, was it really matters. It's not so much that who comes to me, it doesn't matter. It doesn't, it's not so much of the people that ask the question. It's their intention and their motive and how they come to me. That's what literally stopped Jesus in his tracks was a woman with the, her intention. With the right intention, there was an act of humility and there was a need. Just like the woman that washed the feet of Jesus. Luke 7 and 38 says, And stood at his feet behind him weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears, and did wipe them from the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Notice her, re- her approach. Notice her approach. Which was an act of humility. But also notice where she positioned herself. She positioned herself behind him. Not in front of him. So Jesus in those days was kind of like a, he was like a celebrity to some people. He was like a rock star. They always wanted him. They always wanted to touch him. They always wanted him to see her. They, they wanted his attention. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying, look what she did. She wanted to give out to him. She wanted to pour out to him. But she came and stood. If you look at the scripture, she stood behind him, Brother Davis. And the reason was, was she, what, where she positioned herself was, t- tells a whole lot about the story. It wasn't that she wanted something from him. And her identity was irrelevant in, the, in that case. She just thought so much of him that she wanted to come to give to him. And so she came, she not only broke the alabaster box at his feet and the ointment, but she came behind him and stood behind him. She placed herself behind him. Her motive wasn't to, for him to see her. It, it, was, it wasn't an act of, uh, of being selfish. Her focus wasn't about her at all. It was simply all about Jesus and to the bride, which is who we are. It should be all about the groom. What usually happens is the bride, the church, when they want something, it's always about the bride. But if the bride makes it about the groom, the groom will always make it about the bride. You understand what I'm saying? So our approach to Jesus, it should always be, how can I lift you up, Jesus? That's how we should have church. That's how we should have church. Many times we have church because, oh, the bride's weak. We're the bride. You understand what I'm saying this morning? We come to, oh, the bride's weak. We need, we have a need. We do. 
this. We come here and we're depressed and we don't worship the groom, the husband, Jesus, simply because we have a need. But scriptures tells us that if we lift him up, if we make it about him, then he will lift us up and make it about us. But what we do, we got the mentality. It's a, it's, it's a, we're, we're in pain. We're, we're having this problem, this problem. So I'm just going to sit back here and I, I'm not going to worship God. I'm just, I'm not, I need this, I need that. And he never can help us because we don't make it about him. I've said it before, this altar, we, this is an altar, not this altar so much, but it's an altar, it's our altar here, right? But an altar is a place of sacrifice and a place to give. And the problem in, in, in our ranks, not just Pentecost, but all over the board, all over Christianity, is we have misinterpreted or misunderstood what the altar truly is. The altar. No, I, I give an I give an altar call, and give an, a lot of there's two kinds of people that won't come to an altar call. Number one, mainly two kinds of people. When I give an altar call, people will say, "Well, I don't need anything." Come on, you have all said it into yourself. You may have not vocalized it, but you felt that way. I'll have an altar call. I don't I don't really need anything. So I'm not going to the altar. Oh, and then there's the other type of people that won't go to the altar because. We don't want people thinking we did something wrong. So we, we, out of pride, we don't go to the altar and we don't need anything. And God is saying, that's not what I intended the altar to be about. The altar was never designed. Samuel, when you built an altar everywhere you lived, everywhere you moved, uh, Abraham, every time I gave him a promise, he didn't build an altar to get more from God. He built an altar to thank God for what he had done and what he was going to do. And he all, there was always a sacrifice laid on the altar. Anybody that built an altar, even even the devil understands that. They, the, 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 the witches and the, the people that serve the devil, when they build altars, they sacrifice to their God. But the altar was never intended to get anything. And that's how we treat the altar. That's how we treat church. I don't need anything. Or I'll go to the altar because I do need something. What would happen if we treated church and treated the altar, our altars at home? If we had the mentality as, you know what? He made the perfect sacrifice for me, and so I'm going to give to him. That's what the altar was about. And when I give an altar call, say, I'm going to open this altar to everybody. Think about it. People that don't come to the altar, well, they say they think I, I don't, I, I don't, I'm not, I don't have anything to give. I'd rather people be honest about that than say, well, I, I don't need anything and I'm not going. But the altar was intended for us to give back to Him. And that's, that's, the, that's the law of the harvest. You reap what you sow. And we got the mentality that He owes us. 
What are you going to do for me? When are you going to heal my mama? When are you going to heal my child? When are you going to give me this? When are you going to pay my bills? When are you going to give me that new car I prayed about last year? Why don't we spend our lives, or start spending our lives, about, I can't wait to give Jesus this. I can't wait to give Him that. And it's not about what you don't have or what you have. Because the woman with the two mites, two little coins that came to Jesus and dropped them in the plate, after all the other guys gave the gold and silver and all that, physically gave a lot more than what she could ever give. She gave that, and there were, Jesus accepted it. Matter of fact, he didn't just accept it. He caught his attention and said, she gave more than everybody else. So don't focus on what you don't have. And don't think what you just The simplicity, the simplistic uh, or amount of what you have isn't enough. It's, it's, don't, don't, don't think that way. Say, you know what? I don't have a lot. But what I have, I'm going to give you. And Jesus will look at it and say, you know what? That's the biggest blessing. You gave me more than anybody else because you gave it with the right intention, the right motive. I started out talking about prayer, and my goodness, I ended up talking about healing, and I was all over the place. I apologize this morning. Somebody needed to hear what I had to say. And I'm going to go back. I, I got a few minutes. I'm going to go back to what I was going to say a little bit ago. Somebody here. Somebody here, God is trying to reach you. And He was going to, I'm telling you this in the Holy Ghost, He was going to allow something to come in your life to grab your attention. He was going to allow you to be put in a position where you needed Him in a great and mighty way and that you needed the church. But what, he's, but what He is tell, tell, telling me this morning is to tell you that you can go around that. If you give him your attention now, I, I, that's what I. That's all I got to tell you. I, I feel silly about it. That's what God wanted me to tell you. So I'm going to open this altar, and I'm not going to open this altar to people that need anything. With the intention of coming to this altar. I'm going to open this altar right now with, for people that want to give something to Him. Say, well, I don't have a lot. No, you come up here and you give Jesus your attention, your praise, and your love. You just simply come to Him. You tell Him, I love you, Jesus. And I know if you're an elder, you physically can't come down. I, I under, completely understand that. But wherever you're sitting, if you choose to sit in your pew and you make your pew an altar, if you kneel your head down at your altar, at your pew, that's fine. But he's, God, is, God is speaking through me to this morning and wanting me to tell you. And it's not just this one moment here this morning that, that he wants you to give to him. This is a, a mindset and a lifestyle that, that God is after you this morning. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Let's sing.